Mindfulness Mode 373. So really, if you could look at fear, the monster, the lie, the lie is still my little four-year-old that doesn't know it's okay. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach. Great to have you here today. And if you would subscribe to the show, if you enjoy it, that's much appreciated. If you're brand new, welcome. Great to have you here. Please share the news about Mindfulness Mode. And you probably are here because you care about being focused. You care about mindfulness. You want to become more grounded. Well, I have recorded another new meditation not too long ago, and it's about awakening with focus. It's about getting started in the morning. So many of my uh, listeners emailed me and said, could you record a meditation that will just help me be alert in the morning so I don't even need caffeine? I don't even need coffee. So I've recorded this one, Awaken with Focus, about being alert It's about feeling invigorated, fresh, and dynamic for the day. It's all about bringing out your vibrancy so you can feed those around you and be the energetic person you desire to be. You can download this free guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash awaken with focus. Awaken with focus. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview as we talk about the monster under the bed. Mindful Tribe, I am delighted to tell you that I have Kim Fisk with me today. Hey, Kim, are you in mindfulness mode? (laughs) I am, Bruce. (laughs) I try to stay there as much as I can. Oh, me too. Me too. It feels good. Kim Fisk is a respected professional keynote speaker. She's a life coach, she's an author, she's a seven-figure earner, and she's a thought leader. She's sought after for her ability to convey to audiences provocative concepts and practical ways to deal with what she has coined as the monster under the bed. Kim has been able to change the way people view their relationships, their careers, life goals, and journeys by giving them the ability to acknowledge their proverbial monster while providing mechanisms for coping with it. This process has provided relief and inner peace to those who are seriously seeking. And thank you for all you do, Kim, because this is something that is so much needed. What does mindfulness mean to you in your life, Kim? Well, how it applies to me is basically when I when I learned the definition um, of observing one's thought, kind of detaching from the thoughts that we have, that became the genesis for mindfulness for me. Like when I started just detaching that that what was true was something that I think. Just because I think it doesn't make it true. No. So that was a huge piece. I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, hold the phone, wait. I'd never heard anyone talk about that. And then I started re- reading John Kabat-Zinn. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but you are. one of the first books I read was Wherever You Go, There You Are or something like that. And oh, that blew me away. That, and to actually become aware of your thoughts and either decide to align or observe one of the other, but you could choose. That was huge. So you have an amazing ability to help people face their fears. Where did that ability come from? 
Well, Bruce, I've been working with people in people businesses, relationship marketing. Uh, I've been a theater and music director, large groups of people I've directed. And, and um, so in all my people, I just have always had people around me. And I've always been an uh, observer of people and myself included. So um, I've just kind of gathered data and everybody I've worked with, no matter in what avenue and what, no matter how successful they seemed, how perfect they seemed, how together they they just everyone felt it seemed like everyone had the same nine little question in the in the soul like it actually wasn't a question it was an answer like i'm not okay i'm not mm. enough i'm not acceptable i'm something's wrong with me and that always intrigued me and i felt it in myself and um so over the years as i've coached people as i've spoken as i've just been in dinner conversations with close friends. Cause I just go deep. I don't stage chit chatty very long. We let's go, let's yeah. go deep right now. Right. Yeah. So my friends will tell you, we, we go deep pretty quick, but I've, it's just interesting. It's interested me how everyone has that. And, um, most everyone, maybe there's a couple that haven't, I just don't remember them who they are right now, but, um, so that interested me. And so then in, in digging deeper about that, that's where this, the monster under the bed metaphor kind of started to develop. And then I've, you know, it's just a metaphor I made up, but it seems to fit. So, yeah. I think it does fit. What's your monster under the bed, Kim? Well, can I lay a little bit of the groundwork about what it is in general? Of course uh, you can. Okay. Okay. And then I'll go into my specific one and everyone can maybe self-identify for their, their own. Um, but the premise is, is it sounds like a kid's book. In fact, the, the full title is The Monster Under the Bed. The subtitle kind of tells you more of what the purpose of the book is, and it is uncovering the lie that drives us. And so um, I remember in the, the whole first part of the introduction of the book talks about when I was a kid and I did really have a, the fear of something was under my bed, a monster, and if I put my hand out over the edge, you know, I'd have to tuck in really tight, make sure I didn't, if I had to pee in the night, oh my goodness, we're in trouble because he's going to get you, you know, mm -hmm. like, as, and then, you know, everyone listening to this goes, yeah, but that was, that was not true. Well, of course, you can say that now. And, but when you're young, you don't have the rat, this part of your, your prefrontal cortex brain doesn't fully develop really in most people till mid 20s. So when we're young, how we process life cognitively after we hit like three, four years old, when cognition like, oh, I'm not a part of this woman's body anymore, like when cognition really starts kicking in, we are already preset. We have some preset default settings in our wiring. And this is really plays into um, this metaphor because number one is we are a primate. We're in a primate species. So it's already innate in our wiring, Bruce, that we need to have, we need to be taken care of and we need to be okay in our community. Loners did not make it in the evolutionary process. So that we didn't choose that. It's, it's just up there with breathing and drinking and eating and, you know, all those things that's in there. Right. Another thing that is part of our wiring is anything unknowable is unsurvivable. Fear there is a there is an important aspect of fear in our survival brain that really we can't downplay that we have to say well that was an important feature to bring with us through the through the centuries you know millennia of evolution we needed to fear something unknown so some of us as adults we still fear the unknown and we judge ourselves for it 
so I kind of want to take away all self-judgment about these things because it, when people realize, oh, my brain was automatically wired that way, oh, whew, there's some relief to that. Um, so when we're young, we just process with our survival brain. And the survival brain, the amygdala, it's part of the limbic part of the brain, the old reptilian brain. This little kid, me as a little kid, didn't realize that I just processed emotionally. And when I felt... Um, unsafe, so to speak. I felt like I maybe wasn't okay. Maybe I don't go into the book, like when it specifically happened, or it doesn't matter to me, like when, or even if it was one event or if it a culmination of events, but there was a point when we were little because we did not have reasoning and logic where we made a decision about ourselves and our worth, like our, our okayness with complete it's a lie. It's what I call and the lie and the monster are kind of synonymous. Okay. Right. It's the lie under the bed that we're not okay. And therefore the amygdala is struck to say, well, you got to be okay. Cause that's a fight or flight situation, right? Like you got to be okay. That emotion that hit the amygdala doesn't sit there and go, Oh honey, you're okay. You're intrinsically valuable and unconditional. It doesn't love. do that. Does it? No but way. <laughs> it, responds to the emotion it feels it is an emotional driven and when it senses fear at the intensity that my little four-year-old had it like oh, danger danger will robinson something's wrong and my mom might have just pulled my hand or slapped my hand away from the hot stove because she loves me so much you know all the it, it doesn't have any logical connection at all but it's the decision i make about myself the amygdalas that i'm not okay the fear that that uh, incorporates the amygdala spark. This happens in a nanosecond. This is like, the and then the, the amygdala says, you got to be okay. So go 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 be okay because you've got to be okay. Right. So then we switch modes from uh, based on the lie that we're not to proving that we are. So then, Bruce, we look around at our, our family, basically, our, our environment, our tribe, and we say, what is valued in these? What are these people valuing? Okay, that's I better do that. So I grew up singing. I grew up in church. I grew up performing. I played the piano. Of course I did because my all my family was musical. All my family played instruments. All my family sang. I don't remember ever not doing that because the amygdala guided me perfectly well. I needed to do it. So um, am I happy that I have it? Absolutely. But the difference is now because I have this brain and this is the brain I'm speaking to to you and your listeners because you do have this brain. What happens is, is this brain, once it's fully developed, is already pre-wired by the inaccurate brain, by the faulty wiring of our four-year-old. And we don't know it because, again, back to our thought, we believe our thoughts. One more little facet, then I'm going to come up for air and let you kind of ask a question about that. But uh, one more facet that keeps that lie alive inside us is... There's a part of our brain also that's called the reticular activating system. Maybe you know it. Mm -hmm. In the book, I call it um, mental bloodhounds. And the mental bloodhounds job, it again, doesn't question anything. It just says it has some instinctuals like food and sex. Like it's going to keep you on alert to, for someone to procreate with because that's part of our species. And it's also going to keep you aware of where food is because you got to do that to have sex. So, you know, you got to eat to have sex. And that's really all your old brain cares about. Eat and have sex. <laughs> procreate, really. Don't just have sex. Procreate. 
sorry. I don't know if your your show is PG thirteen or what. No, 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 no. That's fine. Uh, no, that's we can we definitely talk, talk about sex. That's for sure. <laughs> eat and have sex. Have you sex have and eat. And at the same either time, if either you want order. To, fine. <laughs> either order is fine. <laughs> either order. Well, you got to eat in order to have sex. So it's going to be one of those messages for survival instinctively. But then the other part is conditioned response. And so the mental bloodhounds reticular activating system, its job is to be the gatekeeper to make sure that you only get the data in because we are inundated with stimuli and data, you know, about everything that's going on in our environment, everything that's going on in our body. So it's, con it's conditioned response. We have conditioned, let's say my four-year-old has conditioned it because the minute I said emotionally that I'm not okay, that emotion hit, Guess what its job is to do? To only show you the data that sh proves you're right. Of course. Because it's only letting that data in. Have any of you been um, shopping for a car, right? And, um, you know, you, you, you get excited. I'm going to get a blue Mustang, you know, or whatever, a red Toyota, whatever. And you already, you get it. It's, and what you've done by making that decision, because there was some emotion involved in it, like, I'm going to feel good. People are going to like me in that car. I'm going to feel hot and sexy. Whatever your emotion was, you've given the, the mental bloodhounds the scent. So when you're out driving around the next time, what do you see? You see all those red Mustangs and those blue Toyotas, don't you? They're just everywhere. They're everywhere. I mean, it's like, what? What? It's weird because that is your, it's doing its job perfectly. We've lived in a, we bought a house once that was by a train track. We didn't know it, right? Because right. we were at the house during the day. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, our first night we spent there, there was a train like twice during the night, the train, woo, woo. Imagine that. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm going to never get sleep here. Well, after the, I've, after the bloodhounds settled down that this wasn't significant to survival, I slept through it. Newborn babies, right? Moms that slept like a rock before. Guess what? We have emotional significance now. We hear every little whimper. So that's the job. If not for this part of our brain, honestly, Bruce, I really think that the lie could have had a hope of, like we did, we stopped believing in Santa. We stopped believing right in the tooth fairy. Mm -hmm. I think this is what kept this part of our brain kept only showing us the evidence of what we what we told it was true. Confirmation bias is another word. Like you're only going to keep seeing what you've always seen. You're only going to hear what you've always heard until you become aware of this. And so I talk about this in the book, like how to rewire that, how to give it a new message, give it a new truth. Uh, but it's got to be accompanied by emotion that's going to do it. Anyway, there's my there's my premise. Well, I love the way you explain it because it makes it so easy to understand. And it's not easy for everybody to understand yeah. these concepts. But yeah. you've taken more complex concepts and you've simplified them to the point that they are easy to grasp. Good. So Good. yeah, that is wonderful. Yeah, that is wonderful. And so if you if you're uh, if you're wondering, you know, what was that book again? Monster Under the Bed by Kim. Covering the lie. Yeah, go to my name because the only reason I got away with that title, by the way, uh -huh. well, I think this is what I was told. I don't know if yeah. it's true, but is that because there's already children's books called that? But right. because I was in the self help genre of book categories then I could get away with that. But it's Monster Under the Bed, Uncovering the Lie That Drives You, Drives Us by Kim Fisk. And if you just go to my website, that's probably the best thing because right now the book's not even out. Well, I don't know when this is going to air. Bruce, that was another question I probably should have asked you, but 
it's it's not out till early October. So right, okay. Well, the book will be out by the time this airs. So you know you can, okay. you can check out Good. the book, and it's Kim Fisk F I S K E, and it's yeah. kimfisk.com. So how easy is that? And uh, yeah, it's it's great that people like you take these concepts and put them into a, a form that we can understand because we've been all hearing those voices in our heads for years. We've all been hearing those stories and wondering like, why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? And yet it's really pretty much a universal thing, isn't it? It is, you know? absolutely. And so where it shows up, really half of the book, um, I've identified 10. There's more. Even since I wrote the book, I've had a couple more come to mind that could be on this list. So it's probably an ever-discovering list. Right. But there's 10 monster tracks, I call them. And those tracks are our actual behaviors, responses, um, how we actually, how the monster actually shows up in our life. Cause some people go, Oh man, I don't know about that. Well, um, okay. Well, let me guess what track number one is Bruce. What is track number one fear? Oh. Is it no. fear? Is it anger? No. no. Oh no. Anger is going to be under the buttons. And I think that's five or six. These aren't in any particular order, except I think one is one. I think one is the epicenter of all the other ones. And that is shame. Mm. I think shame is our first feeling that we had when we were little, like we're not okay, right? right. That's that feeling. I'm not okay. So, um, and then shame drives a lot of the other ones. And so let me just tell you about this conversation I had. This isn't in the book, so you, you're getting it here. Uh, it's not in the book, but um, I was on a plane the other day and everyone, you know, we start to chat, they find out I'm writing a book, blah, blah, blah. And they want to hear, oh, what's your book about? I'm like, well, you got five hours? Okay. Yeah. So when we hit shame, I was talking about shame. And it was interesting because the subject came up about, and Bruce, I hope this is an okay subject to talk about on your show. Again, it's up there maybe with sex, but it's it's pooping. Sure, that's <laughs> have fine. You ever noticed little kids? How many little kids have you noticed that when they're at that age of they're wearing a diaper, they're walking around, their cognition is, this is the key, their cognitive brain is starting to really put things together mm -hmm. and they go hide in a corner or they go under the table or they go behind the couch to poop. Right. And this woman goes, oh my gosh, yeah, my kids did that all the time. And I go, you know what? That's a shameful, that's a shameful behavior right. of that two or three year old. That two or three-year-old has some shame around pooping. And you know what? She goes, well, what do we do when we change a baby's diaper? So if you guys have babies at home right now, don't do this. If you can see if you can change this, because there's, I know when I changed my poopy diaper babies, I'd go, oh, it's stinky. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's stinky. Right? Yes. I might have even been smiley about it, but there was something emotionally a little bit off. Unacceptable about it. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, stinky. So what does the kid do when they're old enough? They start going, oh, there's something shameful about pooping. There's something that, oh, there's whatever this is, I got to go hide. Mm -hmm. And so isn't that interesting, Bruce? Because I never interesting. put that together. No, it's very interesting about that whole piece of shame. And then, of course, it just grows from there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually, you you bring up fear. So let me give you my philosophy. And actually, I, I've, you know, I read a lot. Man, I'm an avid reader, as probably most of your listeners are, or they wouldn't even be on this podcast. Right. People that are trying to grow and understand life and themselves and, and get better. You know, that's what we do is we read. Well, one of the books, I'm going to give credit to Liz Gilbert on in Big Magic. And she talks about her definition or distinction of fear 
really represents what I'm, people go, well, I'm going to kick fear in the face, or I'm going to get over fear, overcome fear. Her, her story is, and she wrote Eat, Pray, Love also, and, and Big Magic. She's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And her thing about fear is she goes, I discovered that it was not, it, I knew that fear was going to be with me if I ever want to create, if I ever want my genius, or in our case, if we want to grow. Like if, if you ever want to grow or get, expand your consciousness or grow at all as a person, yeah, that you will trigger what I call the monster or what, I, what she calls fear. Because... Fear or the, that part of our brain likes the status quo. Don't mess it up. Just stay as you are. Stay this way. Because again, the unknown could be unsurvivable. And then if we have a lot of evidence why we're, we will probably fail at what we're doing, we've got the, the bloodhounds that have just brought us inundated with evidence of everything we've done in our life that we screwed up, right? So you're overcoming all that. But she goes, I told fear that you know what, you're going to be my companion on this, in this journey. We're on together. We're, we're going together to not have you means I won't have my genius, won't have my creative part of me. So if I want that, you're coming with me. I know, but you're going to sit in the back seat and you're not going to touch any of the dials. (laughs) I like that. And it's so true. Everybody talks about fear. How do I get rid of fear? How do I overcome fear? And fear is a healthy part of life. It's a healthy part of moving forward and challenging ourselves and and being better people as we move on this journey of life. Yeah, absolutely. So now, and in fact, some people that get like, I'm going to just stomp out fear, like there's angry energy about it. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because guess what the amygdala only sense only processes is emotion so the more you fight or you try to use willpower against it that's the worst because you're just fueling it more mm-hmm. you're fueling it the more you fight so really if you could look at fear the monster the lie the lie is still my little four-year-old that doesn't know it's okay yeah. that's who needs my love it's that's that's who needs this unconditional um and it has to be rewired emotionally because that's how, you know, the, you know, the law, um, Hebb's law, it's called what's fi- what fires together, wires together. Oh, yes. Have you heard that? Yes. That's how our brains were actually wired. And so that law is the law. My little theory of how this works in us is my theory. So take it for what it's worth. But emotions fire because there's nothing cerebrally. We don't live our lives by what we know. We don't live very little of what we do in our life is because we know we should, or we know it's the best thing. If that, we would all be perfect, right? Right. So it's emotional. What has been wired? How is our operating system? What's, how's our, you know, how have we been programmed? And programming was done with firing and wiring. And firing, I believe, what is when something, either for the good or the bad, it, again, it doesn't make a judgment. It just says, oh, this is this is significant, either good or the bad. So it fires synapses, brain neuro pathways start being connected. Mm-hmm. And what wires is repetition. So because of that, because of the bloodhound aspect of it, that's what keeps us. It probably would have been unwired as we grew in our in our cognitive brains, as in our logical brains, as those kind of developed, like what I did when I finally maybe eight years old, lifted up the bedspread to look. Cause I was scared to death though. Like that fear was real. Like, I don't care that fear. My heart was pounding. I felt like I was going to throw up. Cause what if there is something there, mm-hmm. but then my brain was going like kind of what kids do with Santa, right? It's like, sure. mm-hmm. 
we don't even have a fireplace. How, how does that work? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, but under that bedspread. And so when you're willing to go look there, but the mental bloodhounds keep giving you all kinds of stuff. If you start fighting that, it's going to keep, it's going to keep triggering. It's going to keep triggering the flight or the fight response. Cause that's all it knows to give that old part of your brain. So just love it. Like when you have these fearful thoughts, cause Bruce, right. That's, it just comes as a thought. Then it produces an emotion. Thoughts come before emotions, by the way. Yes. When you feel sucky, like you go, Oh gosh, I feel like crap today. What's wrong. I'm off. Something's funky. Something's wonky. Something's if you will stop right there and don't go to self judgment, which just keeps the cycle going mm -hmm. Stop and become an observer of it instead of an aligner with it. Just observe it. Go above it. Go, huh, it's interesting how I feel like crap today. Wow. Okay, what thought led to that? Oh, when your husband said something about what you were wearing and that meant you're fat and that meant he's not happy with you and he's probably going to go have an affair or maybe he is having an affair and you just found out which meant you're not good enough if you were only better. See this, those, right. those, those, those thinking thought, those connections have already been made and all roads lead to you suck. You're not good enough, right? All yes. roads lead. So if you just become aware of it instead of going, yeah, that's right. I suck. Go above that thought and go, oh yeah, it's interesting how I think I'm not good enough. It's interesting how that thought said that. Huh, where did that come from? Now we're going to lift up the bedspread. Now we're going to observe it instead of a line. Now we're willing to run to that roar, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And as we lift up that bedspread, let's talk about bullying because I always ask a question about this and and you know, those fears and those those feelings that we have in response to what other people do and say. Sometimes we call that bullying. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, there's a story in the book, um, monster track number five or six, it's buttons, getting your button pushed. So I'm not sure which direction you want to, do you want to go from the person being bullied or the bullier? It's, it's okay to go in either direction. I most often hear about the person being bullied. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of times it's great to hear it from the other direction. Well, either way, if I'm being bullied, I, the, for me, the answer is to have a new new interpretation of their behavior. Because right. if left to default wiring, you're going to keep aligning that you would deserve to be bullied. See, because that's the other facet of kids, by the way. Kids, kids don't just look at what happens to them. They process mostly what happens to them is because of them. And that's part of our survival brain as well, because we have to be on the lookout for how we are fitting in. So if something goes wrong, like you asked my, my, my monster earlier, I was four when my mom and dad got divorced. And, and I'm going to come back to your bully question in a second, but I want to kind of lay this yeah. ground. Yeah, please do. Is, um, is, and my dad got remarried the day of the divorce. So I always knew growing up, <laughs> here's what I'm telling you. I knew in my adult brain when I started processing that, that my dad left my mom. That is not my wiring. Mm -hmm. My wiring was my dad left me and it was because I wasn't, and this was my little variation of the lie. I was, if I had been special enough, like that was my fight mechanism. I got to be special because if I was special enough, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have left me. Right. So, um, 
that was how that was wired to little four-year-old Kimmy. And he left because of me. He didn't leave because of my mom. See, that's not in the kid's no, sight. You can't, no, it's not. that's why kids of divorce all think that it was because of them. And your parent, you as a parent can go, no, honey, it has nothing to do with you. Well, you can try to say that, but that takes the equipment they don't quite have yet to understand that. When they're older, they might. So here's, um, so that was my lie, is that I have to be special. And that was my driving force. Um, back to bullying, um, and I talk about after the 10 monster tracks and I identify each one like shame and people pleasing. That's a monster track right there. If you have to please people in your world because you're that's how we're wired. That's exactly what we had to do when we were little. We just didn't grow out of it enough. And so we're still a little bit dysfunctional there, ruining relationships. You know, third is judgment. How much self-judgment, judgment of others. But buttons, I think, is four or five. Like I get my buttons pushed easily. Mm -hmm. So. Let's talk about it from the bully, the bully side, okay? Yes. Obviously, they're monster-driven. Obviously, that bully is fearful of his survival. And that bully maybe was bullied, and maybe he learned it from a parent. Because, again, that's who our early days, you know, we, we learned from. Exactly. So the bully is just a little, a little kind of hurting i always say hurt people hurt people right mm -hmm. like that bully as much as you can show love and forgiveness and compassion to the bully because that bully isn't really in their right mind they're still reacting from the lie the monster thing and they are just taking out their you know the button thing is anger and taking things personal those are the two things i um and i even address prejudice um discrimination in this mm -hmm. chapter so I'm going to shift now to the bull person being bullied. And I have a story in the book about a friend of mine who's a black man that lives in Southern California. And he he um, was went to a, a friend's house. It was in an affluent white neighborhood in Southern California. Um, and and my, black, my friend, uh, Jonathan, has really um, done a lot of monster work. Like he's already very self-actualized, mindful, listening, trying to rewire, trying to reprogram years and years and years of when someone feels discriminated against all their life and when someone feels bullied, you know, basically uh, for their skin color or for whatever, women can feel bullied because of gender. Um, I even talk about Viktor Frankl in this, uh, in this chapter, talk about bullied. I mean, he was put, because he was Jewish, put into a Nazi concentration camp, right? Like yeah, absolutely. doomed for annihilation. It was the ultimate bullied, <laughs> bullying. Yeah, that's right. And so how do these people, this is who I really want to speak to is the person being bullied because number one, don't allow the bullying to continue, protect yourself, like put boundaries around be, I don't ever, ever want to rationalize or justify any current um, bullying being done to you. you. We, we teach people how to treat us. So put your boundaries up and know how to protect yourself from it. Or if you don't know, ask someone like get some help about how to protect yourself. But then how do you how do you process that in later years? Like how does a child of um, discrimination growing up feeling race, racist, uh, you know, and I'm not saying it's not there. There's no reason to say it's not there. Mm -hmm. I see it. I hate it. I denounce it every time I see it or hear it in people as best I can. But the problem is, is that we we have a choice. Viktor Frankl talks about man's one ability to choose his reactions and responses. And that's what he really, the refiner's fire of that concentration camp showed him. You can take everything away from me. 
but you can't take my ability to choose. Exactly. And I choose to see this differently. So um, in the story, it's a long story. You're going to, it sounds like a pitch, but go get the book to find out what Jonathan did. But he was really treated very, uh, with high amounts of uh, discrimination by three white policemen. And, and I kind of detail his whole process through the whole situation that he, de- that he told me later of how he kept having to, number one, take deep breaths. Like, here's the other interesting thing, Bruce. It's when our amygdala brain, the survival brain is triggered whether it be through an imagined thing or a real thing, it doesn't know the difference. This prefrontal brain shuts down and it, you can't make a logical, reasonable decision. That's why like all the police brutality, all the, the horrible fighting in homes where parents, you know, either domestic violence or just verbal abuse that people go through. I've said things many times that I wished I could take back. Like, why did I say that? Mm. Well, because I didn't have access to this logical brain. I was so worked up. So when you learn one of the biggest tools, and you know in mindfulness, the biggest one big tool, physiologically, breathe. Just from your belly, not Mm. from here where the panic breath lives. Go to the deep place. And you will automatically access your parasympathetic nervous system, calms down. You have access now to have some logical thinking. Without that, it's just monsters. It's the bottle of the monsters, right? Right. So um, breathe and then keep what my friend Jonathan did ultimately in the story was he just kept telling him st- himself the truth of who he was because he heard the old lie that I'm not good enough. I'm bad because I'm black. I'm not good enough. I'm not. These people are better. And the fear of my survival is definitely ringing in there. Um, because they have complete control over if I live or die right now. So who am I? Who am I? I'm good. I'm worthy. I'm, I'm okay. I'm lovable. These people don't know it. They're, they're hurt people who are hurting people. They're just fearful. This is their monster. This is their worry. This is not my problem. Like just talking yourself down in the middle of it. Does that make, I don't know if that that, helps. That totally helps. That's great the way you've described it because that's exactly what we have to do when we face some of those bullying conflicts, whether it's in business or as a child, whatever, and we're all going to face them. They they just come up from time to time. Now, Kim, as we move forward, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are, are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Well, it's been, Wayne Dyer has been probably up there. Like I just lived on Wayne Dyer. Um, uh, what's her other, the other return to love, uh, Williamson, Marianne Williamson Marianne. was another one. Right. And Juan Cabazin, those, those first mindfulness. Okay. There's my 30 seconds. Okay. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, it's changed my world. It's absolutely changed my world. It's changed everything because I don't look through the same glasses at anything anymore. Like it, yeah, it's changed everything. Well, you've already that. you've already talked about breathing, but maybe you can sum it up a little bit. How has breathing been a part of your mindfulness practice? Well, this this could go a little longer than thirty seconds, but um, I remember back in my early days of just quiet time. I was raised in a very Christian, fundamental Christian, so meditation was kind of like uh, a little bit new agey. We right. don't know if that's really of God or not. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that was my upbringing. So I called it quiet time. And it's what I grew up knowing about prayer, but I never really understood because everybody prayed fear-based like, Oh God, please heal my blah, blah, blah. Yes. 
And it's like, well, that's not faith. That shouldn't be how we pray. So I learned how to quiet and come from once I kind of got my intrinsic value and who like cleaned my conduit is what I call it. Like Mm -hmm. getting the barnacles and the, you know, like the monster tracks cleared up of my, who I am, then I could visualize. So I went to this really, I just did this. It just came to me and I just kind of got this feeling inside me of being radiantly feeling unconditional love. So I breathed, I breathed and I would just in my mind's eye, I don't think I did this with my hands. Maybe I did, but I didn't have to, I could do it in my mind's eye. And I just went, and I got this feeling because Bruce, it has to be emotional. You got to feel it. Yes. It can't be cerebral. See, cerebral doesn't work. No. Cerebral doesn't do any unwiring or rewiring. It's got to be emotional. You've got to feel, go to this unconditional. And sometimes it's hard and I would fight my thoughts. Oh, I have one more quick thing about meditation breathing. I remember trying to quiet my mind and that didn't help me because my mind couldn't be quiet. Then I went to self-judgment because I wasn't doing it right. Da, 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 right. You and many other people. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So when I started telling people, don't worry about quieting your mind. Don't worry about uh, controlling your thought. Deep breathe and then go to this place of, I'm just going to notice all the thoughts that come by. I'm going to notice them and then come back to the breath. Oh, there I go. I just went and noticed another one. Oh, there's another one. Like, so then it stops this, the judgment about doing it wrong. Cause so many people stop because they can't do it right. And they think they're unique. Oh, everyone else can do this, but me No, You are absolutely right. My clients tell me this all the time. I I agree with you. Yeah. Well, that's great insight. And uh, if you could recommend a book, I know you've already mentioned uh, uh, The Big Magic, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. And, you know, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. But do you have any other books that you recommend? Well, depending, your audience is probably already kind of down the road a little bit um, in depending on the level of what they can absorb. Like who I geek on right now, one of my people I geek on is, um, is Dr. Joe Dispenza. Right. Uh, very much uh, becoming supernatural. You are the placebo, breaking the habit of being yourself. Those were big, recent. Those were, but you know, you're going to probably want to be a little bit down the road. Maybe not. Um, but just kind of um, go, go even on YouTube and watch the shift. Uh, Wayne Dyer. Um, I, I bought probably. 30 of those CDs, the DVDs, and I just mailed them to my friends and said, just go watch this, go watch this. This is incredible. I think it's the full version is on YouTube now. Um, But that, those are early, Marianne Williamson, Return to Love. Mm. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. Do you use any apps with your mindfulness? I have. I don't now, but um, I've used Calm. Yes. C-A-L-M.com. That's right. a good one because you can have it either guided or not. Sometimes I'm not in the mood for guided. Sometimes right. my rebellion is sparked with guided and I just go shut up. I don't want to hear you. Yeah. Just give me music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then sometimes it does help. You can even just go. It's very self-directed. You've got to kind of find what works for you, but know something will. Um, some people like this of water. I don't. It makes me have to go to the bathroom. So uh-huh. I like I like um, just nature you know, yeah. um, so it just depends. You got to just come to this place inside and, but, but have this as the backdrop of everything you do. You can't get it wrong. Right. You can't get yeah. it wrong. Don't yeah. worry about it. You're perfect. Well, Mindful Tribe, check out the book. Check out uh, Kim's website at kimfisk.com, F-I-S-K-E. 
Amazon.com. And the book is Monster Under the Bed, Uncovering the, the Lie That Drives Us. So check it out. Kim, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. And I, I know that uh, you're all over social media. I know on Facebook, J.K. Fisk. And on Instagram, at Kim Fisk. So connect there as well, listeners. And it's just been such a pleasure to talk with you today about all of these mind tricks that we experience and how to deal with it because it's huge. We need to know this. It affects everything, Bruce. And so if you're having conflicts, just start looking in the mirror and going, what can I do? What can I do? Who am I being? You know, who? what's pushing my buttons? And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Kim. You're welcome. Yeah, bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, awaken with focus a 12-minute meditation just for you, recorded by me. You can be alert, focused after waking. That's what it's all about. Feel invigorated, fresh, and dynamic. Let your vibrancy feed those around you. Download this meditation to help you get going in the morning at mindfulnessmode.com slash awakenwithfocus. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.